You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. We're in our fourth week of teaching about healing coming from the shack. And each lesson is building one upon the other. So I'd ask you to turn to page one of the notes just very quickly. Because the first thing in this healing journey that we watch in, within this movie is this, is this first point, number one. Recognizing the broken heart, broken life, broken identity in ourselves and others. There will be no healing until that recognition occurs. It's been very interesting this past week. I, I have been in the firestorm of, of brokenness, uh, and it has just been remarkable to hear and watch what God does. It is just true, truly unbelievable. I'm sitting there talking to a person about a situation that they're kind of connected in, and as I'm telling the story of deliverance, the tears start and the, it's like, because I'm not even talking to this person about themselves and, and, and the beginning of deliverance occurs. It's like they're seeing something. I had a family of three in my office this past week and I, I, I have to follow up with two out of the three because both of them sitting there even hearing the description of deliverance the, the dad's sitting there saying, I, I, I brought my son, but I realized that I'm here for me because I've, I've got to be delivered from something that happened in my childhood. So it's just been amazing to watch and to, be, and to, and to hear the, see the power of it. But none of that happens until this first bullet occurs. There's a recognition that I'm in that place, that there is, that there is hurt here, there's brokenness here. And that beginning will will open doors that have been that have been long since closed. So go with me if you would now to page 4 to the to number 2 that we that we're looking here, the second scene that we looked at. And this is a progression. This is in order. The first one is the recognition of the brokenness. There will be no healing, no restoration, no deliverance, no repentance, and no salvation without an encounter. We're not going to talk our way through this. We're not going to get good information. We're not going to, go, we're not going to approach this to say, well, there's just information you need, and when you hear this information, you'll be better. There will be none of the, no restoration until there's a recognition that there's going to have to be an encounter with God. Nothing else can happen. There's nobody capable. There's nobody big enough. There's nobody strong enough. There's nobody smart enough to affect deliverance and transformation outside of him. The change is because of an encounter. Look at Paul. What's he been doing? He's been arresting and killing Christians, standing there as they're stoning Stephen to death. He's a, he's a terrorist doing it in the name of God. And what would be the chances that somebody would educate him out of that? Well, it wasn't going to happen because he already is saying... He, of, of the educated, I'm the, of the most educated. Of the zealous, I am the most zealous. He was saying, I already have all that stuff. 
What did it take for Paul to be transformed from the legalist to the witness that God said he would be? What did it take? It took an encounter with God. We will not be changed. We will not be transformed absent that encounter. So that's the second bullet from the second scene that we looked at. And you can use those notes to work your way through that and go back and listen if you'd like to. The third one is on page nine, what we covered last week. There will be no healing, no restoration, no deliverance, no repentance, no salvation without a drastic correction in who we believe God is. Most people that you're going to encounter has such a broken perspective of God. They don't know him as loving. They don't know him as kind. They don't know him as faithful. They don't know him as tender. They have known him as aggressive. They've known him as harsh. They've known him as judgmental. They've known him in a thousand ways. But rarely do they have an accurate perspective of who the Father is. We remember the, from, the, from the movie when Papa saying to Mackenzie as they're standing there in the kitchen, Mackenzie, you don't, have, you, you don't know who I am. And we're, we'll, get, we'll get more of this as the, as the movie plays on, but most of us, and I shared this with you last week, what's the first way? If you're sitting there ministering to somebody, where will they find the first, the first piece of information that tells them about this difference in God? Where will it show up first? It's in us. They will hear it in our voice. They will hear us say something. And it will come out and it's like, what's happening here? Because who are they actually hearing? If, we, if this is done, who will they actually hear? They're going to hear the Holy Spirit. He's not only going to say the words they need to hear, he's going to say them in a way with a tenor and with an effectiveness that they won't, they're going to wonder what hit them. That's why when they say things that generally would shock us, you know, that I've, I've, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and the countenance on us never changes, well, all of a sudden they begin to recognize why didn't, he, why didn't he react? Why didn't he grimace? Why didn't he frown? Why didn't he shake his head? Why wasn't there any reaction? Because I don't, I don't get to own a reaction. It's the Father's reaction. Because I want them to know his kindness. I want them to know who he is. I'm not ministering this myself. It's the Holy Spirit through me. So for most people coming in, whether it be you that we're talking to tonight or whether it's somebody else that you're ministering to, I will assure you that their perspective of God will have to change. They were, they're going to have to learn him. They're going to have to know him in a way they've never known him before. So this brings us to the, to the place where we are tonight. Uh, number four on page 14. There will be no healing, no restoration, no deliverance, no repentance, and no salvation until we believe trust, and absolutely know that God knows and loves us. Now, that seems strange to have to say. 
that I'm, that I'm going to have to encourage somebody to believe that God actually loves them? Do you know that most people don't believe that? Most Christians don't believe that. And if, they will, if it even comes out of their mouth, they have a reservation about even if he loves me, then that love looks different than what I need. It doesn't look like the love I'm needing. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure technically he loves me. It just doesn't feel like it in a very practical, very kind, and very personal or real way. They're going, that, that, that has to change because there will be no deliverance until we know that God knows us absolutely and loves us. Let me continue reading. Many who are hurting believe that God has somehow left them or is too distant to know what is going on in their lives and must have concluded that he doesn't, he doesn't care. Because how many times have they prayed and nothing happened? How many times have they asked and it seemed like their, their, their prayers were just hitting the ceiling because they couldn't see anything going on? So the conclusions are he's either too distant, too disinterested, too disconnected for us to actually expect him to do anything personal or real. By the Spirit in us, we must allow his love and his goodness to become evident to the person with whom we meet. By his Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit will use our hearts, our hands, our voices, our eyes, our tears, and all of the, all of the things to bring this reality home to us and to those to whom we minister. We and they must know that God is for them and not against them. You see, the reason that this is such a struggle, and we've mentioned this often, is that what church has done is taught us to know God conceptually. We've learned a lot about him. We've heard a lot of Bible stories, and we can tell those Bible stories. So we know that we know a lot about God conceptually. But once again, how often have you personally encountered that God that we know so much about? Again, I'll use the same illustration that I always used. If I give you a, if, if we were going to have a test and I gave you 50 multiple choice questions about the Bible and about God, unless I got ridiculously hard, most of us would do very well on those 50 questions. But if, if the essay portion of this test said, I want you to describe five times when you've had personal and intimate encounters with God, most people sitting in most churches would, would, have, would be staring at their paper saying, I don't know what to write. That's because we know God conceptually. We just don't know him personally. So for most people to, to begin to tell them that God is personally, completely, fully engaged in your brokenness, in your life, and is interested in doing something about it is conceptually beyond what they've ever heard. That God actually cares that much. Our voice, our hands, our hearts begin to convey that message. God really does care. Where we will begin tonight in the, in the movie, stop right there. If pain goes unresolved, it can cause us to forget what we're created for. Imagine within the Christian world, don't have to get outside that within the Christian world, how many people are living with unresolved pain? So how many people have, have been removed 
from that purpose for which they were intended. I love the line. In this section, begin to engage this reality. This section is all about letting Mackenzie know how God is engaged in his story. That God really cares about him. That God really isn't distant and far away. The, all that we said that has, to be, that has to transition in this step is that this God that we're, that we're beginning to know in different terms, we, ha- we had to have the encounter, and this God we're beginning to, ha- to meet in different terms, actually that God is genuinely concerned about the pain that I'm experiencing. Because most have rolled it into this category of, oh, that's just the way life is. Never yet, not even anticipating anymore that they could be free. Not anticipating that this pain could be dealt with, that this, that this I've learned to live with could actually be removed and freedom could finally come. Again, I've had an unusual week and to watch people encounter the Holy Spirit for the first time in all age groups, from young to older, to watch them encounter the Holy Spirit in ways that they're, they're saying, one of, the, one of the people says, I don't know whether I was in my body or out. I, I just couldn't help but laugh when I heard it. It's like, well, that sounds scriptural, doesn't it? That's what Paul says. Whether I was in the body or out, I don't really know. And then to, to describe this encounter that they had with the Holy Spirit, and I've had several of those this week, because what they're discovering is that this God that's always been distant is personal, that he really does genuinely care. He's involved in my story. And everything that, that you hear, you were, you know, he was intended to fly. You were intended, you were created to be loved. How hard is for that to, for many people to swallow that? To actually realize that I was created and put on this earth to be in the middle of a love relationship with him with the creator who established me, he did it so that we could be in a love relationship. And that, that, and that the relationship is actually that genuine and that personal. We begin to get a first glimpse that God wants to directly engage that which has broken our hearts and separated us from him. By his supernatural power, we must let him connect with the person before us. Papa now begins to address the deep hurt inside Mac with the purpose of letting him know that God truly cares. That's what this section is about. I put in here just at the bottom of that page 14, this song. How many of you know this song? This old hymn. Elaine, do you know it? <clears throat> jump in, jump in when, you, when you catch on. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Oh yes, He cares, I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. 
Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight faints into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Oh, yes, he cares, I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Listen to the words of those other verses. Does Jesus care when I've, when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. The last verse, does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks? Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary. I know my Savior cares, and I will assure you, Many believers don't believe that. They don't know that he actually cares. That's not something he says, I want for you. That's what, in the line right there. That's not something I want for you. Can you believe that, that God would say that to you today? I don't want you to be broken. I don't want your heart to be broken. I don't want you to be left in your grief. I don't want you to be left in your sadness. I don't want you to be left in your frustration and your disappointment. I love you. I don't want you left there. I I want you to know something else. I want you to understand something about me. I want you to know how much that love actually is, is, is real and tangible in this story. I want you to know it. And again, what, what a powerful thought for God to say, that's not something I want for you. Why would I stop it there? Believing it's real. I, I have very few people who sit down in my office to believe that, that healing can actually come. They may be sitting there and they're interested in the conversation, but I don't have many people who come into my office believing that God will actually do something on their behalf. One of the more interesting things is watching the hope rise and the possibility of healing become real to somebody because they don't come in start with it. They do not start from this position because they have asked, they prayed so many times, asked so many times, thought about it so many times, and still at the end of the day, they're still living in the brokenness where they started. And when, I, when they come into my office, they're not believing that this time will be very different than the last time. They're usually there because somebody said, we ought to go talk to Randy. They're not there because there's a, there's a hope. I wish I could draw these connections that are, that are sitting here today, just how many of these connections are from, from person to person to person. Somebody, Kathy, asked me the other day how I knew you, and I said, oh, it's through June, through Bunny, through, and it just, and it just cascaded. How many, how many people, how many stories there are, and how many times this was passed. 
But they don't normally come in with the expectation, oh, this is the time. I'm, don't, I'm not coming expecting my problem to be delivered. They, they think maybe there will be somebody that will understand, somebody that will say something, somebody that can, that can connect with them. They don't come in expecting that in a few weeks or even a few days or a few hours, they're going to be able to walk out of here completely free and healed from that which had broken their heart. They don't come with that expectation. So that phrase right there is one that's very relevant in ministry. They're having a hard time believing that this is real. Because I don't, we, you don't rarely, you rarely get to start there with somebody. But it's fun to watch as that hope begins, that hope begins to rise. I wrote here and under that letter C, this is a powerful statement that we should also expect along this journey for ourselves and for those to whom we minister. Most have been so affected by disappointment, poor teaching, that they don't believe that this time can be different. Our assurance that God wants to deal with their pain may seem very confusing after their life and their religion has told them otherwise. I'll stop there for just a second. Can you imagine having a relationship with God that looks like that? That is that good, that familiar, that blessed. I, I love listening to Graham Cook. Graham Cook is one of those guys that God injected into my life. He's Scottish. I love to listen to him speak. He's got an amazing testimony. But, but he's, just, he's just really a good guy. One of the more interesting things about him is he says, God loves to tell me jokes. And I, I, I love that thought. That, that, and he'll, he'll tell you the, the last two or three jokes that God told him. He'll say, great, you want to hear a joke? And he jokes with him. See, I, I like that. I like where that puts our heart in relationship with the Father who loves to see us laugh and would tell us a joke to get us, that, to get us there. If you, want to know, if, you, if you want to see a short video of Graham Cook, you can go onto our website at Sundown Church and on the resource section, scroll down and there's a, a, a video in there from YouTube when, and it's, it's got Graham Cook and it says the first time Graham Cook met a witch doctor. And it is, it is hilarious. True, but, but hilarious. I, I just, I love the warmth of that moment of them, of them sitting at that table. Yeah, I know it's a movie. Those are powerful words. That is beginning to recognize this encounter that we're having with this God we're beginning to know has such a strong focus right here that he may gaze and see the stars, he may gaze and see the universe, but his gaze is fixed in your heart, and it matters. He's not too busy, he's not too, too, too removed. Listen to, those, listen to those words and recognize that when, we, when we, we receive them for ourselves, but when we're ministering those words to somebody else, Love is meant to exist within a relationship, Mac. That's all we want to have with you. You are in the center of our love and purpose. He has purposed in you something. We talked about it this morning. When, when in Joshua chapter 1, God announces to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. 
And Joshua now understands that all the promises that were made to Moses have now been made to him. What was necessary before Joshua could step into his purpose? Something that stood between him and that purpose had to be removed. And it was, in this situation, it was Moses, who he loved and trusted and had been his teacher and his mentor, and here he is. Because to step into that purpose has to realize that you too, like Moses, are in the center of God's purpose. That's why I told you this morning, in all practical ways, when you add this up, when you reckon this, I have to become dead to you. It sounds odd that, I, that as a pastor I would tell you that I have to become dead to you because I can't have you standing behind my faith. I can't have you standing behind my testimonies. I can't have you standing behind anything, anything that, that I have done because your purposes will never be fulfilled if you're waiting for me to stand in front of you. You have to reckon the, the, those obstacles, those situations, even the people that you love and have blessed you, you've got you've to move them to the side so that you can step into that purpose for which God intended. Because just like he loved Moses, he's telling Joshua, I love you too. I will be with you just like I was with him. And to that next generation, they would say, well, you know, I've, I've been with, I'll be with you just as I was with Joshua. And to each of us, as this passes through, I will be with you as I have been with those before you. So we're still on the deck. Again, I wrote here indeed, these are profound words from Jesus and should reassure us that his love is, is, a, is as tangible as the air we breathe and that his purpose for each of us has been lost in the brokenness. Our words must bring that assurance as well. Isn't that something? Pointing at the sky, pointing at, as, as vast and as beautiful as that is, for that statement, as beautiful as all of that is, it's nothing compared to how we see you. Why would he be able to say that? Because what's the uniqueness of him looking at us? How were we made? In his image. Not the stars, not that universe that's so vast and so beautiful. There was only one thing that he loved the way that he loved us. Loved us enough that we would be created in his image so that he could look at us and see whom? Himself. Remove the brokenness, remove the hurt, remove the pain. And there we are, maybe for the first time, be, be able to reflect him in us. Listen to those words. As beautiful as all of this is, it's nothing compared to how we see you. This is the great summary of this section. Rarely do we find someone who believes this about themselves. This is the reason that it's necessary to have a person speak also about themselves when they're, what their father actually says about them. Y'all have heard me do this many, many times. But, uh, Billy, what's your, what's your youngest grandchild's name? My, yeah. Cora. How old? Three. If Cora's sitting on your lap and she's looking up in your face and you're looking down at hers and you begin talking and you, and you start, Cora, you are so, what would you say? Beautiful. What else would you say? Keep going. Gorgeous. Yeah. Would you tell her she's smart? Yeah. 
You see, everything there would be to recognize by a grandfather in, the, in a grandchild. And those words would speak truth. Every characteristic, every quality, every goodness that you can see in her would be fodder for your words in your description. So now then, Billy, if I, if, if I ask you, that showed you that you're sitting in your heavenly father's lap, and you're looking into his face, and he's looking into your eyes, and he begins. And he starts, Billy, you are so, what's he going to say? So wonderful, precious. Good, kind. So would you ever tell Corey, you're such a disappointment to me? No. So why do we assign that to our father? That he would speak that harshness over us. We do it all the time. We think he's saying those kind of things about us. And he's trying to tell us, I, I will not. That's why in my office, when I, when I take somebody through this, I have to get them to begin to speak those things that the Father would really say about them. To break through that, because that's not an easy thing to break through. It's, it's probably going to be about one out of ten when I ask them this question that can even say one kind thing about themselves. Normally, they're just sitting there blank. It's like, I'm not, we're not moving off this point until you say something kind about yourself that the Father would say. If you think out of our love as a grandparent or as a parent talking to a child out of our imperfect love, we would say those things. Why would we not believe that out of his perfect love he would say something similar to us? But it's unusual to watch people struggle at that point because they cannot believe that God the Father has a perspective of them that is good. And much less to this point to, to say that as beautiful as all of this is, it doesn't compare to the way we see you. Now, how do we see ourselves? What's the conflict? What's, what's tearing here? How do we see ourselves? It's a mess. Broken. Sinful. Disappointment. And, and so when God begins to whisper these words and say, no, I'm your father. I get to see what I created. I get to see what I made you to do, your purposes that I hold within you, the promises that I've given you. I want to speak to that. I want to tell you how remarkable you are. I want to tell you how beautiful you are. I want to tell you, you know, what happens inside me when I see you as my child. I want to speak those things to you. I want you to know me as your father and know that I am fully engaged and you are in the center of, the, of my love Enough that I would even send my son. Had you been the only one, I would have still sent him. That's how much I love you. And to help someone begin to recognize that when they're functioning from a place of brokenness. Remember, always go back to the story of the woman at the well. Such a beautiful story because we have, but it's been taught wrong or incompletely for so long. Jesus asked her for water which he should have never done because it was not, it was kind of, it was morally or, morally or socially wrong for a man to talk to a woman. It was really wrong 
for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan. Well, he not only asked her for water, he begins to teach her, which now that was against the law. He was breaking the law to teach her about worship. When he's saying, well, you you worship here and we worship here and, and the day will come. He was teaching her, which was absolutely against the law. And she finally, she says, I want that drink of water. He says, well, go get your husband. And there's this real moment of honesty. She says, I don't have one. And he says, you've spoken well because you've had five. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. So click, what do we jump on? The man that you're living with now is not your husband. Hmm. That must be what he's dealing with. He's got to be dealing with her sin. He's got to be dealing with this awfulness in her life. It was so, such a strange moment when I realized that in that day and time, women couldn't divorce men. Now, men could divorce women f- for no cause. Just simply say, I divorced you and it was over. A woman could not for any reason divorce a husband. So five times she had been rejected and thrown away by husbands, and now the man that she's living with didn't even care enough to marry her. To realize he wasn't dealing with her sin, he was dealing with her broken heart. Because he knew if she was going to drink the water, it wasn't because of sin. That's what the water was for. She wasn't going to drink the water. It's because her heart was broken. Everything he did from the beginning, when he asked her for the drink of water, says, I value you. You're worth it. When he began to teach her, which was against the law, he began to say, you matter to me. You're worth it. I love you. I'm concerned about you. You're valuable to me. Everything he did was making that announcement. Why do you think he's announcing to you? What's he announcing to me? You matter that much to me. I would encourage you, no matter how much of this you take on as ministry, I would encourage you to, to adopt that practice, to get people to begin to speak kindly of themselves according to what the Spirit would say. That's a life-changing moment. It's a breakthrough moment for most people to, to, to begin to recognize that if I wouldn't say that to my grandchild or to my child, why would my father say it to me? Why would my father say, Randy, you're such a disappointment to me. You've certainly let me down. Well, he wouldn't. Why am I capable of more as a father, grandfather, than what my father is capable of loving love me? I'm not. He loves me beyond what I would ever understand. <clears throat> this shift in perspective must occur If they never believe God truly cares and loves them, they will not ask him to help. I didn't make that note. What did that say? Why is that that such an applicable place to stop? Because when somebody walks into my office, who already knows the story? God knows. The Holy Spirit, God, the Father, already knows what we're trying to discover, but he already knows it. So in whom are we trusting every time we meet with somebody? We're trusting in him because he already knows the story. I could scratch and paw and and dig and turn over soil for days and days and days trying to find the root of someone's problem when someone in the room already knows it. And he's very good. He's very, very good at turning it up so that we can see it. I love that line. The last time I was there, 
I was lying with her. And for Jesus to say, kindly and truthfully, I know. It's a tricky part of the story that will be resolved later. But I love the message he knew. Can you love that kind of God? Yeah. I, that, that's that's, that, that's a, a view of God that we have to stop just a minute. But when I, when, I, when I compare that to stoic and hard and what we've often been taught, it's like, nah, I'll take that. I'll take the laughter. I'll take the joy. I'll take the fun. Okay, we're going to end with that, that statement, not Mac, from the other room when Papa says it. But here's the question that we've ended with each time. Now, this section has been about us recognizing that this God that we're learning about, this God that, we're, that, that is transforming in our vision as we, as we start to understand him, the more we understand about him, the more we'll understand that he's connected to us. That will always be the outcome. The more I know about him, the, per, the more personal he will become to me. That's, so this whole section's been about this. Where do you think this now leaves Mac? We've talked about this each week. What's beginning to shift in him that wasn't there at the very beginning when he had this first encounter, when he was introduced to Papa and to the Trinity? What's now in Mac that wasn't there at the beginning? What do you think? Do what? Hope. Huge, huge piece of this. It may only be this big. It may be in the infant stage. But Mac is being transformed by words, by transformed by, by goodness. And, and he, he, at this point, he's certainly not going to verbally say, well, I'm expecting to be healed now. I'm expecting something good to come out of this because he's fixed to get angry as well. But there's hope rising in Mac. What else is there? Good and bad, what's still there? That, I, that we need to expect when we're ministering to someone else. What's still there? Still hurt. Still unforgiveness. Still brokenness. Yeah. It's still there. But he's, there's a smile on his face when he's, when he's looking up in the house and he's watching them dance. There's a smile on his face that, that his understanding of who God is is creating hope in him. He doesn't know it yet, but this shifting perspective of God, a God that laughs, a God that cares, a God that knows, a God that's connected, a God that is in his story, a God that truly loves him, is going by its very nature, is going to create hope. So hope is rising. The other things are still present. Don't be discouraged. If you're ministering to someone and they're, and they're not buying in quickly, don't be discouraged. God has to work this according to his time and his purpose, and no one can know that except him. He's the only one that can bring someone to the place of deliverance, to the place of restoration. He and he alone can do that. No one else can do it. He's good at it. But no one else can do it. So don't get impatient. It's good to see hope rising. 
that maybe something can, can be different. But watch it rise, but don't be discouraged when the other stuff is still present. Yeah, we, we, we should absolutely be doing it, especially, well, with each other, but especially with children, to begin to speak those things that we see. We have a tendency to praise them for what they do. We rarely speak to them for what we see and who we see they are. And that's, but it's when we speak identity over them, it's what stabilizes them. You see, you know, we don't understand that Satan knows how to create a permanent hurt in us. We could all say that as children, something happened to me. All of us have experienced that. So how does, create, how does Satan create permanence in that hurt? He gives that hurt identity. That identity stays. He does it on purpose. Because he also knows that our true identity creates permanence and stability in us. That it is our true identity that allows there to be strength and resilience even against difficult situations. So if he can get a false identity that would cause us to create permanence, it's because he knows our true identity was designed to create that permanence as well. So when we begin to speak to that identity, what we're doing is we're connecting that child to that other person in something permanent that the father's doing. It's unwavering. I see in you courage, I see in you hope, I see in you justice, I see in you wisdom, I see in you shelter, I see in you goodness. When we speak those things over others, we're speaking permanence into their story beyond the fact that, oh, you did a good job, you ran the race, you passed the test, you made the most goals, you, you, you got a new job. Each one of those is praiseworthy, but they don't create permanence. Or we have to keep praising. What creates permanence is identity. Make sense? So yeah, you're right. We need to be speaking identity to each other, especially as God reveals it. To, to say, I was standing here and this is what God said about you. That, that adds this, what are you talking about? God's talking to you about me? Yeah, ever, absolutely. I'm telling you what he said. I rarely do a funeral that I don't sit before the Spirit until he begins to talk to me about the person that I'm, I'm going to be speaking about. Because it's amazing what happens to the family when I'm able to say I was with this little, the last one I did. I was driving home from Lubbock. I just turned the ropes when the Holy Spirit began to tell me about this person and just talked. And I'm, I'm driving down the road just taking notes on this piece of paper on the console, just capturing these thoughts so that I could tell them this is where I was. This is what was going on when the Holy Spirit began to tell me about your father. I want to tell you that it catches their attention. Because these are not observations that I was making. These are words that the Spirit was speaking. Because the Spirit can bring a comfort that I can't bring. He has capability that I don't, that I don't have. Just so to speak words that the Spirit gives us is a powerful thing. And, it should, and we should be very faithful and diligent in doing it. Father, we thank you tonight for this, for this section and this teaching. Because of all things... We need to know, first of all, and we need to be able to share with others through, the, through your love and through your kindness by your spirit that they are loved as well. Not just from a distance, not some distant thought, this distant relationship, but personal and intimate to the degree that you really do care that our heart's broken. It really does matter. 
because you want to see us healed and you want to see us restored. You want us to, you want to see us living in the vitality of all of your purpose that you've established in us by your word and by your truth. That you have such a, a strong, powerful desire that we would be in the center of that love and know we're there. That your focus looks straight into our hearts and that you love us. No condition, no circumstance, no proof that we have to establish over and over. You simply love us. Well, I pray that that would find deep, deep roots in our heart so that when we speak to others, that spirit that establishes those roots in us will speak to others and they too will know that they are loved. Thank you, Father, for teaching us tonight. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.